0: lighthouse today my guest is brad smith renowned artist muralist texas native and uh we're really happy to have you on the show brad well thank you very much and you are a character
1: no um <laughs> sorry about that. it's all good i slip into dj voice every once in a while
0: continue to do it um so on the last episode we, we had a musician on and I asked him what his kind of first musical experience was that really turned him on to that life and that uh, identity. So since you're more on the visual art side, what was, do you remember like this first drawing you did or like a, a picture you saw and you were like, I gotta, I gotta start making art. Like, did you, did you have that kind of moment? Like an aha. Uh-huh.
1: Well, when I was a kid, my dad was from uh Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, uh he liked to gamble on the horses. And there they have a place called Arlington Park. It was uh right outside of Chicago, but it was real famous for uh you know all the gamblers, yeah. and uh, so he would take us over there, and there were these beautiful. I was six, maybe five, even six years old, and they had these giant portraits of the most famous horses. From this, I think the place opened in the late eighteen hundreds, so mm-hmm. there were just giant portraits in oil. Must have been at the time. I thought they were a hundred feet tall because I was a little kid, yeah. but in, in, in uh, they were probably. 10 feet tall.
0: Which is still a huge oil painting. Yeah,
1: yeah, and they were beautiful, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm like a little kid, someday I want to do that, that's what I want to do. So Mm -hmm. I started drawing horses and everything, and my dad could draw almost anything, and so he was like, he would see my drawings and he'd say, man, that tail is too stiff, you got to let it blow with the wind, or the mane Mm -hmm. is too stiff, you got to let it, see how it follow the wind, like he's running. And he'd say, follow the back. And then I started getting into it and into it. And, uh, years later I was out here at Brumbaugh's in Fort Worth. And, uh, they asked me to do a giant mural for the cutting horse association on the side of their building. And, uh, while I was doing it, I mean, the leg on it is as big as my body. You know what I mean? The thigh on it, on like a dude. And, uh, I'm like, oh, my God, I went back, had a flashback, I guess you would, to childhood yeah. when I had that memory at the racetrack. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm paying giant horses. And I have horses to practice on. You know, what? my right wife in your backyard. started a horse rescue and they're in the backyard so I could get to know horses really well. Because if you live in Texas and you're a visual artist, if you don't know how to paint horses accurately, you're not going to always be able to do the gigs they're asking you to do. So one thing you can always do is if you can do some Western stuff, couple cowboys, not any Indians. I mean natives, because for some reason cowboys don't buy pictures of natives. This is a truism, uh, but they'll buy all the cowboys and cowgirls you can paint. That's, so that's uh, you got to know working. how to do it. You know, if you got to pay the electric bill and uh, your check hasn't arrived from the gig you did last week. Mm-hmm. you throw down some Western and just happen to show up at your favorite Western bar with them in your hand and uh, <laughs> to buy somebody's going to buy it. Oh, I just happen to have these in the van.
0: Yeah.
1: They're like, hey, Brad, what are you working on? I'm like, well, I'm doing some Cowboys. I got me some Longhorns out here. They're like, let me see those. Brad, oh, yeah, hey, I'll take one of those. I like them Longhorns. You got any old uh, Chevy trucks? Hey, Oh, yeah, I got a Ford truck, a Chevy truck. I, I got those are the studios. Now, those are a little more expensive, but, uh, yeah, what do you need? Anyway. <laughs>
0: the life of a working artist. So, uh, I mean, it's a, yeah, you know. So. And, and like, and the phrase working artist really does describe your life. Like, you've it, never had a day job,
1: right? No, like not once. Well, I actually, when my wife got pregnant with my boy back mm-hmm. in 88, I think it was, her family said, oh, you can't have a baby with a guy who never had a job. <laughs> So I went and got a job, you know, over in Dallas for Bill Reed decorations, this huge decoration place that did all these fancy balls. And we did all this, the props for the state fair and everything. So they made me like top of the heap. I got to tell her, show everybody how to paint murals and redesign all the Christmas props and and did big giant malls and decorated, you know, the Christmas displays with Santa Claus sitting Mm -hmm. there and stuff. So it was a really cool gig. Of course, I had never had a working environment, so it didn't really last me. I didn't know you were supposed to be honest. At jo- you can't be honest at work. No. I, I've always worked for myself. Okay? I didn't know you were supposed to.
0: Welcome s- to the working world. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. know office politics, I should say.
0: It's overrated anyway.
1: Yeah. So, I, you know, that was the last time I worked for somebody. Because uh, I just didn't like the idea how it felt when I got fired. It was. Um, here's the ironic part about it. I'm in Deep Ellum, okay? I've got a building across the street with all uh, four, the Mitchell building, four-story studio across from the Christmas place, decorator mm-hmm. place I'm working at. And so I've got all this crazy art over there. And by day, I'm over in July at their place doing Christmas, Christmas trees. stuff. <laughs> And
0: uh, Meanwhile, like Edie Brickell's just chilling in yeah, the foyer and yes, stuff. Yes, yes, yes.
1: So all my friends are at the bar. We're like painting over here, painting over there, and I'm going back painting elves and shit. I mean, and cool stuff like that. And, uh, and I loved it and everything, but at some point, I burned my bridge, and I said, I'm never going through that again. So I've worked for myself ever since. I, I envy you. That was 30, uh, okay. 32 years ago. I had a job for two years. No. And it stressed me out. That's, that's what jobs do. <laughs> They're cool people, but of course, sure. Um, you know, you don't like the son-in-law. You say the wrong thing. This like kind of thing.
0: Next thing you know, you have a pink slip.
1: And by the way, I'm not sure why we're talking about all this because I'm. It's not that interesting. So,
0: oh hush. I wouldn't have <laughs> asked you to be not on a, if you weren't interested. Not a humble
1: brag, but I'm just saying. Uh, this is like every guy that doesn't want to have a real job decides I'm going to be a real artist instead of getting a real job. Or I'm going to be a real plumber. Or I'm going to just be the best musician. I, I'm best guitar player in the world. Okay? And if I can get close to that. Oh, you know how that is, don't you, Preston? I'm well aware okay. of how that goes. <laughs>
0: Flashbacks to episode one with our producer, exactly. Jay Akin.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, oh. So... You know, you've you've you spent a lifetime doing art, and your 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 dad was an artist. was was your Was your mom in any art influence yeah. on you? oh or yeah, that,
1: oh yeah. She yeah. could. She was a interior designer type, so she'd get jobs oh, cool. designing, yeah, all, everything for everybody. And when we were a kid, my dad owned a topless bar, and my mom designed the costumes for all the dancers. So that was cool. That's one way
0: to make a living. Yeah. And she
1: always decorated everybody's house for him. And she was immaculate and had just great style. My brother's an architect now because it really wore off on him. He's incredibly stylish Mm -hmm. on all of us. You know, my sisters, they're all just have a certain style. If you're raised around imagining, like, every time we moved, she just loved moving the furniture around and how great she could decorate it and we're decoupaging whatever theme on old boards you know (laughs) so we learned all that stuff burning the edges of old posters that had cowboys on them and stuff and we got to paint murals in my dad's uh topless bar so that was cool
0: so you were how old hanging out oh well no i was like 10 or
1: 12 that was like 70 to 72 73 something like that that's back when it was cool right Hey man. Vietnam War you know everybody was doing the best they could
0: yeah, so what what did your would your dad do for work when he wasn't gambling in Chicago?
1: Oh, he owned uh bars and stuff,
0: yeah, just he, continuously he, it wasn't that that wasn't just like the side yeah, thing. and
1: he played cards and uh owned uh had carnival gambling. <laughs> adventures <laughs> traveling raised, with the circus in the, the circus
0: carnival.
1: we were raised around the circus not in the circus because with the circus you have all the carnival games on the outside of the circus so we weren't really raised like that but we were on the outside we were outside of it because he had a whole thing i like can't really shouldn't talk about we we don't don't outside
0: food. it's okay it's okay but
1: uh you know the old school to, that used to be a circuit of gamblers the old mm-hmm. carny days like It was the degenerate casino come to town. And uh, it was like uh, they would have, they already, each year they'd come to each state fair in each state, and all the degenerate gamblers knew they were coming, and they'd have big crap games and stuff at hotels and
0: flooded the town.
1: And then in the center, people don't realize this. I might get killed for this. Uh, No, I'm kidding. I don't know if they're still alive anymore. Turn it up. In the center of the carnival in the old days, they would have a gambling casino and it looked like a, just a regular game, but the gamblers knew it was a hustle and that you could gamble. And then after that, the guys that would want to really gamble would go back to this hotel they'd have set up as a two day gambling site. And it was just turn around and they had a whole thing going well, yeah, for and years, a, and it was
0: never there long enough to get busted. because in no, the, the sting, no, didn't they, have they were time there for a week, build. but it
1: was years in the planning. So it was like uh, they had a whole thing going until the sixty Minutes did a story about it, and the FBI started investigating it, shut them all down. Wait
0: a go So this CNN. is
1: no sixty Minutes. That was with the old school Morley Saver and those guys from the. This was like seventy five or seventy two. That's why he opened the topless bar. Because that. Other gigs slowed down. (laughs) 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 He liked a warm climate, so he came here to Fort... Or it was actually clean where the Fort Hood is. Of course you go where the soldiers are if you're going to open a topless bar.
0: Someone needs to party.
1: Hey, man, you provide a service for people who are going off and coming back from war. What can I tell you? Yeah.
0: So you ended up going to school in Chicago, though, right? Like, Mm -hmm. So you... You you're raised in the Fort Worth area, and then you went. Back of to course, where your dad's the stripper
1: from. bar business do, isn't doesn't bode well for marriages.
0: That's, so. That tends to not work out. So they they split up.
1: My mom took us back to grandma in yeah. Chicago.
0: How old were you when that happened?
1: Eighth grade. I was Eighth like grade. fourteen or something. So, the thing got everything got real then.
0: Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. over.
1: Well, she married a, a gentleman that was in the military from Fort Hood who was a captain and real rigid.
0: So you went complete opposite. Opposite.
1: I had to make my bed that every day. That was culture shock. Oh, my God. I have a horrible ADD. Of course, there was no term for it at the time.
0: Just, but just he taught busy. me how
1: to regiment my mind and my thoughts so that I could function, you know? So it was really it actually being really blessing. great for me because I learned how to speak publicly and be clear, to be just precise about everything because he was so precise yeah. and he he ran the um he had his own tv show and he ran the community theater there in Fort in fort hood that was his job he was a media guy so he had a news broadcast in the morning about events at fort hood and uh he ran the community theater so after he married uh my mom we got out of the topless bar business and uh went right into theater we'd already been working <laughs> with like, costumes so, so it because right? yeah. in fact you say that because it's kind of funny when we would move uh, from school like every two weeks go to a different school my mom would throw us into a local school so you know we'd get some education and uh When the teachers, we were told our whole lives, when the teachers ask you why you keep moving so much because it's here on the record, you just tell them you're in show business. Because we were. We were traveling with the circus. You know what I mean? (laughs) You weren't lying. It was the truth. Yeah. So it's kind of funny.
0: What was was being a, a teen in Chicago in the 70s
1: like? It was fantastic. It was incredible. Best place to be when you're a teen in Chicago. And if you love music, oh, my God. Or the blues, oh, my God. Chicago, with all the concerts, everybody came through there. We mm-hmm. saw everyone in Chicago.
0: Do you have any favorites?
1: If they go to New York, ZZ Top, when they did the... We used to see ZZ Top when I was a kid and play ZZ Top. We lived in Austin as a kid and then we moved to Chicago. Here came ZZ Top and it was like, who's this? We're like, it's ZZ Top, my brother.
0: You're sitting there knowing every word and everybody else is like, so for my older brother, beards?
1: one of my older brother, when my older brother, I only have one older brother, but uh, it was one of his birthdays, like 18th birthday, I took him, got him surprise tickets and we drove him down to see ZZ Top at the Aragon Ballroom. And of course, we were front. And center right up next to the stage and because we not that we bought good tickets just that we knew how to get to the front of the stage because we're back home with our Texas people you know we're like my brother's nickname up there was Tex because he had a heavy Southern accent you know <laughs> so it's hard to shake those anyway no matter yeah. how old you get yeah it really is so uh, it was it was cool man it was cool so. So and then, Chicago is great, man. If you like to eat and you get snowed in, it's a great experience. I don't mind any learning anything completely different, you know. Yeah,
0: and it was an. Ex- I mean, you get snowed in. That's that's an excuse for you to just go crazy on the art. Yeah. And oh yeah. Because you ended up exactly. going to the the, the art institute, no, in American Chico- in the American Academy yeah. of
1: Art in Chicago, across the street from the art institute. The, did you on Clark Street? Did you finish? No. I've never known an artist to finish art. The good ones don't finish. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, it takes a lot of work before they've diagnosed. Or did we what?
0: We're, we're, none of us here finished school, I so did. we just had a no. We just
1: had a resounding laugh. I mean, no. Let me put it to you this way. Oh. Uh, When you start getting people offering you money to go do art while you're in art school, starving in art school, and you're like, Yes, I'll live in your hotel this summer and paint a mural with free food. Yes. And then it piles on from there. So, literally, that's all it's ever done is just like one lead has led into another, and I've never had to advertise.
0: Yeah, well, being a mural artist, you're, yeah, th- your it, painting it, is your
1: advertising. Yeah, which right. Is, Everybody walks into the painting, and they're like, "Wow, you're communicating something." Because I've been doing that since I was 15. I'm like what 58 now. However many years it is, Preston. Come on, do the math. Somebody help me out here. No, it's 40, like 44 40, years. 44,
0: 40, year. 45, something like that. We don't
1: math. We're artists. Mm. Um. <laughs> so, anyway, what was the question?
0: You answered it. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, you did the art school thing and you, you survived. and I loved you, it. I, you,
1: in my art schools were all the old uh, illustrators from Chicago advertising days and the mm-hmm. pinup girls and everything. So the art in across from my desk at the American Academy of Art were those originals from the old pinup girls that I carry around with me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and they were the illustrators in the 50s that did the all of the Americana stuff. And...
0: And that's a style that you've really and kept. I, and, and I didn't and mean to. The, I didn't mean
1: to. That's, that's just the sh- stuff I grew up with. You know what I'm saying? You
0: paint what you know. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole yeah. point, right? Yeah,
1: I grew up there as a little kid. We moved to Texas, and then we moved back, and all of a sudden, I'm like painting. and I really just love painting old Americana stuff. That's what I love. I don't know why. I think because it shows uh, struggle, you know. America's got a great story, really. You know, the land of opportunity, because there's such a vast thing if you if everybody likes comparing the old with the new. So that's basically the theme I've thrived on for 44 years.
0: You know, you've you've said that your your art style is futurism, -futurism.
1: retrofuturism,
0: retrofuturism. That's not an oxymoron.
1: Mm hmm. That's the point
0: <laughs> so so what what's the Brad Smith definition of retrofuturism?
1: Okay, well, what you're trying to do is look back at where we have all come from, the common knowledge that we everybody agrees on. Make commentary about it and present it to how it resembles itself, whatever the subject is, from back then, how it fits into our society now and what might happen to that thought in the future. Mm -hmm. and try to do that in each painting so that when people look at it, because if it's going to be in their home, they're going to have it for 30 years. So you want to make it real heavy in concept. So at first they think it's just this cool old pictures, some retro guys that are looking at uh, majestic and oh, Bill Clinton's in there, and then uh, it actually fits together, but you don't realize it until a couple years into it. Yeah, every month you find your like, new painting in the, the painting. What the hell was that damn artist trying to say with this thing? And it, it's like little what do they call that in computer language when you have these little pockets of information?
0: Do not ask me that question. Easter, egg. Easter eggs. Easter eggs. Yeah, eggs. Yeah. Thanks, Jay.
1: So I just think that's cool in a painting. Because if you're yeah. gonna buy one of my paintings and spend that kind of money, you should get it pleasure out of it the rest sure. of your life. You know, yeah. and then everybody sees me and say, "Oh, I finally got what you were saying in that." It was ten years ago. That you gave me that painting. Gosh dang it! Yeah. <laughs> and I just laugh. I don't remember what that painting was about because I don't. Anyway, <laughs> That'll happen. no, I remember every single brushstroke in all of them. Uh anybody buying that no No. (laughs) i don't remember what i painted today anyway go ahead because i'm trying to paint in the moment you know it's like let it go i can't that's what you should do yeah you know um then you don't get stressed out about it probably like playing music you know you're just into it
0: i mean a good set you walk on stage and then you blink and walk off just because you were hopefully not like blacking out on stage (laughs) but like it, the music just flowed through you. It, there was yeah, no just was like no Thought, just action. Yeah, yeah you know, that's I've, right. I mean, I've watched you paint an entire like wall in a few hours. Yeah, like, you, you know, yeah. for for someone who claims to have a severe case of ADHD, like it doesn't show.
1: Then, oh no, no, know? it's a process that you get. Yeah. You just like Tomoko over there sculpting on the floor mm-hmm. into clay.
0: You're just get lost.
1: You have no idea where you're at, what time, what day it is, anything. You just get lost. You're so in there like he's doing fish. You get sometimes lost in the fish when you're doing fish and in the ocean and you're imagining it. And that that makes it better when you're in there.
0: Not to be confused with the band fish. No
1: fish does the same thing when you're with their music. It makes you think about all kinds of stuff. And
0: we are... 25 minutes into the episode before i mentioned fish
1: yeah no kidding right
0: on the dot internal <laughs> clock on point no
1: are they sponsoring the your 20, show
0: 23 and a
1: half. boom are they one of your sponsors and i'm supposed to mention God them as many times only. as possible um <laughs> why are you kissing <laughs> yeah, up to these guys without a sponsorship oh so sorry my dad was a carny
0: so talking about like combining art and music and murals and culture Let's kind of bounce back a little bit. Okay. How did you get back from Chicago to Deep Ellum? Okay.
1: I. Oh, okay. Yeah. You want to hear this? I mean, I asked. (laughs) That's a good point, Preston. Oh, can I? Thank you. Uh, Are you sure you want me to go into this? I
0: would love nothing else. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. Now, here's what happened, okay? Now, this this could take 25 minutes. Have you got it before you bring up fish again? Look, <laughs> I'll bring up fish any time.
0: I, I damn well please. This is my I, show.
1: There's no there's no mention of fish because this was long before they were born uh, that I tell uh, this first story. First
0: fish was formed in
1: 1983. 83. Um, okay, anyway, okay. I didn't realize. So, Deep okay. Ellum, how did okay. we get there? Okay, since this is a podcast, I get to tell the whole story.
0: That's the point. That's okay. why we're doing it.
1: All right, all right. I'm getting new to, th- I'm new to this. I've listened to Conan before, and now I heard uh, Obama and um, uh, what was his Bruce. name? Bruce on that. That was cool. Last night, we were listening to that. That was cool just to hear their voices. It was excellent. I mean, I loved it. It was incredible. I'm thinking, oh, are we going back to my story? Yes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Uh well, I had been going to the American Academy of Art, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I got this hotel gig where that next summer, uh, first summer of art school, I was pretty much starving. My friend Ron Byer had let me stay in uh, his dorm room, downtown Chicago, because I didn't, you know, I had to take the train. It was like Five bucks there, five bucks in to get in from the suburbs where we were from, out in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Like a suburb town around this quaint little lake. And uh, it turned out, uh, we went, anyway. Okay, way back on track? That was me. I'm sorry. It's okay. ADD set in. Uh, Anyway. I had been, get, I got that gig to go out and do that hotel, so I stayed out of town in, this was in uh, Columbus, Ohio for three months, waiting for school to start, and then I get back and a dude's like, hey, you want to paint a, design a bar for me? I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll design your bar. It was called The Gambler in this local little tavern town. And he did it with the theme of, and I'm like, well, yeah, I can do this.
0: <laughs> You've never been around gambling.
1: Yeah, I, I knew all about gambling. You know what I mean? It, I, I, got, I really got into it. And so I was still uh, contemplating going back to art school. Mm-hmm. But then uh, I was kind of doing some work at this little newspaper there like pasting up ads and stuff I wasn't really happy with it I thought maybe I could illustrate for them so I'd start out at, you know in the cu- cut room <laughs> in those days you'd type send it to typesetting they'd send it back and you'd blow stuff up and uh, post some photos in there real boring stuff but it, it, it teaches about the printing uh, process and lettering and all this stuff so it was super cool yeah. and uh So I got a vacation. My brother graduated from Texas A&M. And uh, so I took a vacation and went down and took a couple weeks and went down to his graduation, and we're in this bar at Texas A&M there at College Station. And we walk in, and there's blacklight murals all over the place and not very good ones. And we're like, oh, my God. My brother's an interior designer architect. You know, we're like, these – we had done blacklight murals in my dad's topless bars when we were kids. Like we can he do this. He showed us this all is this. is our thing. No, he's like, dude, these are horrible. I'm like, no shit, I can't even believe they're using blacklights all around the place. And the whole thing is and They're trying to create this environment. This looks terrible. And the guy standing next to us is the owner. And the owner says, hey... This is my new place. I just invested in the place. These artists, I can't find the artist nowhere in this town. Can I do accents?
0: Do whatever you want, Brad. Because
1: uh, <laughs> this is... His name was Tommy Dallas. Uh, I do a little accents because I knew the guy so well. He, I worked for the guy. You know what I'm saying? Might have to bleep his last name, but... Anyway... Uh, he says, "We timestamped." <laughs> okay, so he says, "Oh, so you can paint?" I I don't believe you. You're just, you know, what what do you what can you do? And my brother's like, "This guy can paint anything." What do you need? He's like, "Okay, you come over here tomorrow. I've got all the paints here, and paint something on that whole wall." These bozos can't figure it out because they're just some country painters. They gave him some fluorescent paints and some black lights and said, "Paint some." Go ham, yeah. And so they did a horrible job. So anyway, it's just the truth. They didn't understand how to work with the black light. Anyway, so that next day I went in and painted like a 30, 40-foot-long Porsche, and this is the 80s, so everybody loved Porsche. Of course, I just bought the most current Rolling Stone, and in there's a Sony ad with a giant Porsche in it. I'm like, I'm going to paint this. I painted on the wall in day-glow. Like a master stud. (laughs) (laughs) And the people freaked out because it looked like there was a 40-foot Porsche the whole size of the wall in Dayglo. And they were like, oh, yes, yes. The next day, the guy says, we have 25 clubs. My, We all love it. I want you to do this in every club. So I'm like, hell yeah. Heck yeah.
0: <laughs> you can I'm never going yeah. back
1: to Chicago. Fuck Chicago fucking freezing snow motherfuckers. I'm like, yeah. He's got me on a private plane flying to the Laredo, all over to every college town in Texas. They own bars in every college town. I'm meeting new partners every, um, every two weeks. We were doing a new place mm-hmm. and they were flying me in after that. To go to the next place to look at it and tell them what theme to do yeah and so they're painting it ahead of us and when we show up they're all painted black because they're waiting for this porsche they want the porsche for sure okay so the porsches i've learned how to paint it in the, my sleep at this point not to mention you've got carp launch. The to hotel do is next. Yes, you have a bar tab at all their bars statewide. They give you a driver. They give you a hotel room ne- right next door to each one of the bars. Okay.
0: Has your liver recovered yet?
1: Yes, it Good. has. I quit drinking long ago. I'm recently back to it, but that's a whole nother thing. Anyway, no, I tri- I I quit long enough. Anyway, <laughs> this is a whole thing. Anyway, uh, where are we in the story? Oh, I had the carte blanche at yeah, all the... jet setting around. Jet Texas, setting around painting, Texas, Texas, painting murals and they're like. Man, Porsche what would you involved. do in this location? <laughs> and I'd say, Man, this is a cowboy town. Let's turn cowboy upside down. And I'm all of a sudden designing like the whole place, ten thousand square feet, as big as our gallery is here, uh, into the, they had a crew for me that was building Western. We'd go tear down a barn, and they would build all these bars out of it, like the Cadillac Ranch and mm. all this stuff. That, and it would look like I would I would paint it into the desert. In, or into a western town, and it was, all the walls were like 10 foot tall with glow paint, and it looked like you were actually in the Wild West, or, or you were in Santa Fe or something, you know? So it was fabulous how so I did all that in dayglow, because even in country bars, you can tone it down where it doesn't look like glow, It just looks like beautiful, scenic backgrounds. But all of a sudden, they realize, wow, that's blacklight paint, you know? They're murals, but they're actually look real. They're just, you don't have to light it from a, a spotlight because the spotlight in a nightclub is too dark. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. So so that doing- kind of started it. And uh, I met my wife here in Fort Worth. My dad lived here. So I came to visit her and I met her and I'm like, I'm staying for sure in Fort Worth. My dad lives here. I met this beautiful woman that was super cool. And I wasn't apart from her after the first time I met her. And she loved, she didn't know anything about art, but she was into banking. And she said, you're staying here. And I said, okay, we're staying here. And I said, we're opening a gallery then. Yeah, Deep Ellum, we're doing it. And the next thing you know, we had a gallery on Elm Street right next to Club Dada. And that was the first gallery in Deep Ellum. No, there was some fine art galleries, but this was the first... Deep Ellum Gallery. Do you yeah. know what I mean? From the, oh, I do. Yeah. 100%. It was right next to Club Donna, so the Nubos were playing there, and every, every band in town was playing at Club Donna, and we were open every night. And then uh, we ran a retail kind of location, but it got so big because we got so many artists, we had to upgrade our building to a bigger building across the street. Uh, right by Trees was across the street, across and we were in the street, that yeah. next three-story building right across the street. And then... All of a sudden we have a hundred artists in the gallery. It was crazy, man. I'm telling you. So we started, the whole thing exploded. We're like artists from everywhere showed up to do murals in deep Ellum. So I did like the first 10 in my, when I got there, my friend Clay Austin had been doing graffiti murals in the back alleys, mm-hmm. but he'd get arrested and stuff. Like it was a nuisance. And, in he introduced me to Jeff Sweeney, who owned club Clearview and they were developing these warehouse parties and stuff. And, he was one of the real estate developers and they're like, man, why don't you just paint something cool on the front of the building and we'll turn it into something. So Clay and I started painting these graffiti murals. He would do graffiti in there and I would do realism. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I did this giant one with, uh, Reverend Horton heat and legendary revelations. And, uh, uh, forget who who else was in there johnny reno was in there it's giant i think i've shown you a picture of did. it it was incredible and uh those that was the first at Crowdis and main street and uh that was the first big mural in deep ellum and it was cool man it was uh it became in everybody's videos it was in people magazine and stuff so it was real cool so that was the first time i really realized how much of a big play a mural can have onto society, you know, and get out to really literally billion people probably have seen the Ice Ice Baby video. Where your mural mural, yeah, my name and phone numbers in there. Although they did cut it out in some versions if you go to the old school one. You know that that's in there, so it's kind of fun to see how you know when it was on MTV. We're like, wait a minute, I didn't finish that thing. You can't show it. I'm not ready for anybody (laughs) all over the world (sighs) to see it. So it was awkward, but it it was kind of fun. You know, you look back, that was like a high rolling time. It was like, oh, that's so fun. You know? Yeah, I mean, you're that was you're 25, just like your age. You know, you're like, oh my God, is this really happening? Holy. I I'm, I'm
0: asking myself that more and more every day.
1: Yeah. So, you know,
0: it's you were you wait, you were 25 when you opened that gallery? Yeah.
1: 25. Yeah. That that's yeah. incredible. And it was great and the gallery spot was so hot and so small that we got offers from everybody. So at some point we had to say, okay, with the realtor we had people that wanted to pay a lot to the realtor. So I said, all right, well, upgrade this because these guys want this building. I think this is a good move. And yeah. it was. You remember where they put that little RV there that sold food in between Slick's clothing store? I don't know if you remember that. There was an RV out there after Club Dada where they would sell food and stuff. And it turned out to be a really good move. I you know, next then,
0: to Dada now is just a fuzzies.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> no compliance. Been there plenty yeah. of times. But this—it was cool, man. It was a time when all the artists were there. It was so incredible. Yeah, Reverend Horton—he played. Came as one to our art show with. Yeah, I just big met takes. him on Saturday. Are you kidding? Yeah, did you was, tell him I said hello? I, I did not do oh. that.
0: Sorry. I thought I told you you weren't here. I was oh, walking out anyway. So <laughs> you met him here? Yeah, he was playing at Tulips. Oh, it's wow! A new, new venue down the street.
1: No shit.
0: Here in your south side. We
1: tell him to wear his big text outfit over and come over and play here. Cameron went on tour with him. It was his first tour with, with Reverend Horton. We'll
0: get it. We'll we'll get to it.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: this was in I guess <clears throat> eighty five when you eighty five yeah when you opened the gallery. Yeah, that's right. So you got three years of Deep Ellum Boom yeah. Insanity.
1: Yeah. And oh well, I was there till ninety five yeah. in Deep Elm. And you started to get
0: some national recognition from the from the mural and stuff is yeah, is yeah. this when you started to work with the Jacksons?
1: Oh, well, that was about that time, yeah. It was so actually I'd, to uh, clarify it was Tito Jackson who brought the idea. Uh
0: hey. He still worked with the family
1: man. Yeah, his mom gave me a bunch of reference materials, pictures of the family and yeah. stuff to draw from. So that was kind of cool. So how'd that play out? What 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 did you do for them? Well, we were I was working with a club developer who had seen my D. Bellum stuff mm-hmm. and they were over here in, in the West End and they said, Hey, uh, would we, we want you to do murals? We're doing these nightclubs out at with Universal Studios out in um in LA. And we want you to do murals in all the different clubs we're building, and we want you to do the drawings for them to tell them what that would look like. Yeah. And there's a Willie Nelson in Wayland's Bar. Uh, these were big time nightclub people that do it for like, uh, you know, big corporations. They design nightclub themes. They were in there was a thing called Confetti's, which was a big nightclub. Uh, chain back in the '80s and '70s, mm-hmm. and they really took professional nightclub things
0: to, to the extreme. To the extreme,
1: like executive decisions, just like kind of you see that guy on Bar Rescue. It's all that kind of the science but on like of a running bars. Dollar yeah. Level. And they built, they would design bars for a couple hundred thousand to a couple million dollars for whoever they needed it. So, all these people, after that business went out, went out and got all these gigs on their own to design nightclubs for big operators. Cause at that time, Planet Hollywood was huge. Yeah. So, if you didn't, if you weren't asked to be a big part of Planet Hollywood, you opened your own dang you place. Yeah. But it didn't work out in, uh, I think it's okay to talk about this stuff now. It's been so long. But uh, I told them it wasn't going to work because they wanted me to do a sports theme in there. Wanted me to design some stuff for sports. In the Jackson's nightclub that they owned. I'm like, y'all, why aren't we doing the? I love the Jacksons. I grew up with the Jacksons. I can draw all the... I draw, as a kid, you're watching TV. You draw their whole style, you know? Uh, and And so they didn't let me do that. So... It didn't work out because I'm sure at some point Michael Jackson said, uh, why are we doing a thing about sports? We're not known as sports people, you know? We're known as music people. Mm -hmm. And they kiboshed it. But it was still fun, the whole process. It kind of freaked me out opening the envelope from their mom. Because I always loved the Jacksons growing up. In the 70s, we had a Jacksons cartoon. It was big time. And at the time, I'm always like, this is so cool, man. I I wish someday I could, you know, meet these guys. You know, you're going to think this crazy stuff when you're a kid. And then all of a sudden, his mom sends me a packet of pictures of them. And I'm doing a drawing of all of them, including Janet, for the mom to see. And Tito to Show with Michael. And approved. And you're like, oh my God! Somebody give me some alcohol, for God's sake, How am I gonna get through this? Is this? A lot. And you know, I was just painting murals in Deep Elm. Next thing I know, I'm doing drawings for Waylon and Willie. You know what I mean? And it was cool, man.
0: Um, so we were talking about musicians you idolized in the '70s yes, and yes. how you ended up meeting them. First and foremost, is Keith Richards. Um how'd that come about? What was the project you were working on that led to it let's let's get into the story
1: the whole the whole story okay, I can do it. This is a long one y'all. This is a long story, and I'm an old person, and sometimes my memory isn't square, but I think I can get it right as i've already disclosed in this interview, <laughs> we were told to tell everybody we were in show business as a child mm-hmm. okay. Well, part of my dad and us being in show business is that my dad had a topless joint that had a live band, okay? Well, my dad's friend, who was his director of his live band, stage name was Rolling Stone, okay? So, like, he was always hanging around the house singing, playing his guitar, just my dad's buddy, you know, running buddy, but he ran the band. He was the house band guy. His name was Roland Stone, so we called him Roland, okay? So we go back to school, and of course, everybody knows we're in show business. <laughs> and they're like, oh, and we're telling them, oh, man, Rolling Stone was over there, and he was playing this song, and it was so cool. You know, we tell these stories because it's Rolling Stone. We don't know it's not—we We hear him on the radio. We think it's the same guy. We don't know the thing, you know, we're like, oh— rolling stone they're always talking about rolling so rolling was like our idol we thought it was the same dude we didn't know we're, we're 10 years old 10 and 12. my brother finally figured it out but anyway so like all the kids at school are like, y'all are in show business and you know rolling stone i'm like yeah we know rolling stone they're like oh my god so we don't know what the big deal is he's like over at the house all the time yeah <laughs> so It's really ironic that I end up meeting and hanging out with the actual Rolling Stones. So I tell Keith Richards this story, and he laughs his ass off. And they're like, oh, my God, this is so fucking hilarious. And we just got a big chuckle out of that. But anyway, do you want me to tell you how I met Keith Richards? Absolutely. Okay. You know, I told you I designed a lot of nightclubs, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, at some point, this big nightclub chain... Had uh, you know, I was working for a nightclub chain that had twenty seven clubs. Okay. Well, you worked
0: for the twenty seven club. I did. I was Buddy Holly.
1: I got (laughs) no. I got about fifteen clubs in, and uh, we got back to Colleen where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, this goes back to the nightclub business with my dad's topless bar. And I get to the guy who owns all the topless, all the bars, okay, in the same tower my dad had the topless bar. And I'm finally going to meet the head guy that I've been working for that owns all the clubs. And I go to meet him. He's like, you're the artist. You're telling me you're the artist that's been doing all my clubs. I'm like, yeah, I'm from Chicago. He's like, "I I know you from years ago. He's like, I knew you as a kid, and it turned out the guy I had been working for that owned all these clubs was my dad's funder for his topless bar, and that was his first bar. My dad's bar it was painted in blacklight was his first bar. I'm not shitting you. So he's like, I know your dad. And he's in Fort Worth, and I knew your mom, and your mom made all those costumes. Remember I owned the pinball arcade where you kids played while you're, during the day when your dad cleaned up the bar? It was my first bar partnership was with your dad. I'm like, oh, my God. He said, you had blacklight paintings. That's what we were recreating. That's why I got the idea for the blacklight paintings because of the first bar where your dad had painted blacklight paintings in there. Uh, I'm like, holy shit. You want to talk about chills up your spine? He's like, whatever happened. Where is your dad he mentioned the girlfriend my dad had at the time with who I never knew. <laughs> I'm like, Cause it was a topless bar, turned out to be pimping out the back and all the whole shenanigans. You know what I'm saying? It was the seventies. It was a whole thing. Anyway, the irony so, of it. So you know you know the fate of the thing, you don't understand. It's like, oh my God, here I ended up coming to Texas to, to design all these bars for the biggest bar company. In Texas, mm-hmm. and it turns out my dad got the guy started with the blacklight thing. <laughs> it was meant to be. It was meant to be. It's, I'm telling you, there's a whole thing, and a lot of my paintings are about fate, and uh, uh, you just don't know when shit's going to happen, man. It happens right in front of you. Just like meeting Keith Richards, I'm like in one of these clubs. Eventually, my nightclub guys got in trouble with over some bombing Stuff. they did something trying to blow up a competitor's bar. So they all scrambled and the whole thing fell to shit. So the guys who they blew up their bar all of a sudden had a crap load of money because the insurance settlement came in and they wanted to do their new bars. Nice. Okay. Bad to the bone. Nice. Kind of like what I was doing for the other guys. I had just, had just recently left the country mm-hmm. and, uh, so, Keith Richards. So, they they hired me to do their club, okay? So, I do their first club in Shreveport. And you know who comes into the opening? James Burton. He's Elvis Presley's guitar player during the all the live years and was one of the great guitar players. Fender, he, he created the signature guitar. He's one of the top 20 Rolling Stone. And he's in the club where I did the whole environment. He's like, hey, man. I'm James Burton. I'm like, yeah, I know you're James Burton. Yeah. My wife loves Elvis and stuff, so it's like part (laughs) of our life, you know? And he's like, I'm opening a club here in Shreveport, man. Why don't you come over? I love your murals. Why don't you meet me? Uh, Where are you going next week? I said, I'm going to Nashville to do a club there. He's like, I'm in Nashville recording with Keith Richards next week. Why don't you come over? We'll come out to this session, and we'll hang out, man. It's going to be cool. I'm like hell yeah, we're going to Nashville. Do do, 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 do Keith Richards. Keith Richards. Ah! He's like, we're working with a record over there with George Jones, you know. We're doing this whole thing, and I'm like, I knew there was a reason I was headed to Nashville next week. He said, but anyway, uh, let's go talk about this club thing. And when we're in Nashville, we'll go hang out with Keith Richards because uh, George got us all over there. It's gonna be cool as shit. I hadn't I hadn't ever met Keith Richards, so I can't wait. So I'm like, okay, cool, I'll meet you in Nashville. Well, of course, he comes, hangs out, James does, and while he's recording. He's like, come on, let's go on over there. And the owner, my client, is on my ass to get this club. Like, I've only got a week there. I'm doing the start of this design thing. I'm only in there just to design for a week, get the kind of concept going. And uh, he's like, man, you got to, you, you you can't leave. You can't go to this thing. So... Like a business, true businessman, I send the client with James to the Keith Richards, and this guy owns all the country bars in Texas and the George Jones, he already knows George Jones anyway. So it turned out perfect. It was actually awesome. So anyway, James said, oh, man, don't worry about it. i take care of business anyway. You come down and you do the club, you'll meet everybody anyway. I'm like, oh, okay. So I finish up in Nashville. A month later, I go back to Shreveport. And we're concepting the whole thing. I'm painting his bar, and uh, we're drinking. The bar's not open, but he's watching me paint. At one point, I'm painting this giant picture of Elvis on the wall uh, from the 70s. Mm-hmm. when He's got the guitar on. He's in a leather suit. James is standing on his bar, eyeball to eyeball with Elvis. He said, this is exactly what it looked like. Elvis would be standing there to my left, always and I would just look over there at him, and there he'd be. And he's like, man, this is incredible. This is just like he's standing there. And here I am painting this portrait of Elvis. And you're like, oh, my God, can I even concentrate after he just said that? Mm-hmm. And it was so fucking fabulous. I mean, you get chills in this kind of moment. You know what I mean? And from that point on, we were best buddies. So we, I did the whole club. And at one point, I said, we're drinking, and not heavily. But it's a bar, so we're having sure. a few at the end of the work session, and uh, two in the afternoon. He's hanging out with me. I'm staying at the house in the Elvis suite. They have his hit when the Hilton shut down. They asked him and his wife Louise if they could. They wanted to buy the hotel suite, all the furnishings that was adjacent to Elvis's hotel suite at the Hilton in Las Vegas. So they did, and it's in their guest house on the lake in Treeport. So when you go to stay there, it's uh, that's where you stay on the big giant '70s bed and everything with the shag everything. It's like so cool. Anyway, uh, I said to James one night, "I'm like, man, why the hell aren't you in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You're the freaking shit, man." You kidding me? Everybody I know says you're like the dude. You're the godfather of this crap, man. I'm like you. You were doing this on the Ricky Nelson. You know he was doing this on the Ricky Nelson show in the '50s on the Ozzy and Harriet thing. And um, anyway, he's like, man, I don't know what's up with that. I'm like, I'm going to find out, okay? So I call uh, m- my wife. She's she's like, I'll find out what the. She was master at this kind of thing. So she found out the how to get somebody nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They said, but no, it's mostly just the superstars. They don't have anything for guitar players. And I'm like, well, this is, I got to do this because that's what they need for Sidemen. Anyway, so uh, we put this package, whole thing together, and James started giving me everybody's phone number to contact them, their home phone numbers from every major rock star. Eric Clapton, Elvis Costello gave me all of their home phone numbers. I am not shitting you. And so we started calling them, and they're calling me back. Chet Atkins, everybody, May Axton, who wrote uh, 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 the one Elvis did about Heartbreak Heartbreak Hotel. Hotel. Hoyt axton's mom mm-hmm. she was calling in in rent they would call in the middle of the night from england and talk to my wife all night and she had a photographic memory so by the time i'd be home she'd be on the phone for two hours with people talking about how great james burton was and how they wanted to support his nomination into the hall of fame so at one point james is like hey man stones want, are coming to dallas let's go i want you to hang out with here meet those dudes So he's like, oh, man, when it came up, just go with Jeff, my son. So Jeff and I go, because James couldn't go. He was kind of tired from whatever. And, uh, and of course, they treat us like we're royalty. You're expecting the Stones and everybody to treat you like just another fan. But because Jeff grew up with Elvis and on tour with Elvis and knows everything about Elvis, they were – because I was telling them, my high school friends and I, when we finally did meet backstage, and we went to their... First of all, let me skip back. Can I skip back? Because I'm losing course, track here. Please. So we're backstage, of course, and we're in the common area with the band and everybody, but not mostly just like most of the tourists in town. And uh Jerry Hall's mom was back there, and mm-hmm. uh, the guy from cooked the ribs because the Stones had a favorite guy's in all the stores now and he's in the chair and some musicians around and all the roadies know Jeff from working with Elvis because of course the Stones roadies are all the old Elvis guys, the guys at the top. So they're like, hey, how's your dad, man? Oh, great. And we're like, hey, Keith, you coming out here? James Purple Stone's back here. And they're like, all of a sudden uh, uh, Mick Jagger comes through. I'm like, holy shit, Mick Jagger, and the air goes out of the room, and everybody's like, all the tourists were all, all the young rock stars in the room that got backstage somehow Mm -hmm. were like, oh my God, there's Keith Richards, and of course, I mean, no, it was Mick Jagger, and I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do if he talks to me? You just go numb when Mick Jagger, somebody you've seen your whole life, and I thought I knew the Rolling Stones anyway but you you think you've seen him your whole life and he appears in front of you and he's in like muscle shirt and he's my same height and he's literally trying to talk to me you know what i'm saying and i can't utter a word because i'm being shocked <laughs> that this is actually happening And everybody else, and so he's trying to be nice because he knows what's happening because he's seen it a gazillion times. He introduces me to his mother-in-law and starts talking about Texas and the barbecue, and so we're all kind of laughing, and his backup girl singer comes over and is like, hey, let's play some pool and all this stuff, and he's going around the room meeting everybody, and all of a sudden the guys are like, hey, Keith Keith and those guys are ready, and they're like, okay, you guys got to go. And so all of a sudden they take us back through the halls and there's Keith in in the little trailer. They open up, they're, he's in here, sit in here with him. And we got, you know, two hours before showtime. This is in the middle of the afternoon, it's a cotton ball. So they throw us in there and there's Keith Richards and Ron Woods in the other room putting clothes on, getting kind of spiffed up and everything. (laughs) And we just sat there for a couple hours just shooting the shit. And then uh, I was so blown away that they didn't. I told him how idolized. I couldn't believe I was sitting there. And Ron Woods, an artist, a visual artist himself, so we talked forever. Get a really good one. I like brought that. him a bunch of my. Uh, I brought him a, a pamphlet of my drawings. He's like, "Oh my God, we our work and style is so similar." And we talked about the art business, and he had a gallery. And he's like, "Oh," I'm mm-hmm. like, "Just keep this stuff. I brought it for you." And uh, and. And so we're just hanging out, and but they wanted to talk about Elvis. I wanted to talk about them. They didn't yeah. want to talk about them. They're not superstars. When you talk about Elvis, he said, "I'm the same way." They said, "Oh, well, we feel that when we were kids, anything Elvis did, we were it into what it. We wanted to do." He said yeah. they would watch uh, James on the Ozzy and Harriet show on the reruns in England just to see what he was playing that week with Ricky Nelson, what mm. licks he was playing. He was that innovative. And he wrote that song Susie Q back in the 58.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, so it was just cool, man, getting to know those guys. And then they, once I, after I got to thinking about it, I'm like, hey, I called Keith Richards' manager and I said, would you ask them if they would sponsor James... For the Rock and Roll Rock Hall and of Fame, because that's what the it, the process was at that time. Fans couldn't nominate. It had to be other artists. So uh, well, that was kind of cool because they said, hell yeah, I'll do it. And uh, by that time, by the time they had gotten back to me, uh, Eric Clapton already asked if he, his manager called and asked if he could be the one to nominate him. Of course, I told them both they could. And uh, somehow Keith Richards ended up being the one that, that actually inducted him. And they made a separate category for the sideman now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it had, and everybody says it had a lot to do with James because they didn't have a category for the sideman. And the important role that he's recorded with so many people, you know, it's just unbelievable. But it, it's weird to see that one artist had such an influence on the music business. One guitar player that started out, it, 18, working on an Ozzy and Harriet show, and uh, it's just cool, man. I think it's cool cause- well,
0: and it's, I mean, <clears throat> like, you know, and it's not that dissimilar to like one random 24 year old in Deep Ellum turning it into the art icon of Dallas exactly now with murals on the back. yeah so. it's, it's
1: exactly the same you don't even yeah. see yourself like that he didn't see himself as a superstar because he says you have to stay humble he's the one that preaches to everybody everybody goes to him and he's worked with everybody he introduced me to Jerry Lee every r- big star mm-hmm. every all of them I said James who all of you worked for he said everyone Sonny and Cher he was in there When they record, they were, Sonny and Cher were just uh, office boys for uh, the Wallace Sound guy. What was his name? Who recently passed? Phil Spector. Phil Spector. And they were just like bringing coffee around. And then he's like, Sonny's like, hey, I've got this girlfriend. And James, we'd sit around and he'd tell us all these stories. So I said, we've got to get this out, your story out. So that's how he got nominated. And then we ended up doing a documentary film about him and stuff. So it was cool, man. It was great. It was it was the highlight. My wife recently passed a mm-hmm. year ago, and the highlight, she said, of her life was when all those old country stars and everybody would call and talk about the old days with her all night. They just mm-hmm. loved it. They just loved it. It was their heyday, and they could tie James with it, and they respected him so much for being in the business that long because he's like the godfather of guitars. If anybody knows about this guy and Fender Guitars, I mean, he is it and he approaches it as art i don't you know when you would go to his house you'd go in the living room and he'd be listening to lawrence welk and all the instruments on there and all the singing and he's mimicking on his guitar lawrence welk
0: like it's no big deal like it's nothing to
1: keep his fingers tight in case he gets a call to go on the road he said every day i've got to keep it tight so I'm still in sync, and then as soon as they call him to go on the road with Jerry Lee or whoever, go to a session. He's ready like, to go. Uh, Tracy Chapman, he did give me that. Give me one reason to stay here with Tracy Chapman. Hell yeah. He, I was at his house building this guitar with him, for him, and for the club. And we had been trying to tell him about Tracy Chapman this whole time. I'm like, dude, you got to work with this chick. He's like, I don't even know who that is. And I was trying to get him to work with Beck, and he's like, I know Beck. And he's meant Beck, the other guitar player. So he could never realize this was Beck, so I was trying to arrange a, pl- him playing with Beck. But uh, anyway, the guy just opened every door. It was just incredible. You just mm-hmm. can't even believe it. The guy... People should respect musicians like that who are even at his age. He's he's older, but he's still trying to perfect the guitar, just like you should perfect a paintbrush.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can
1: perfect something, you know.
0: But it's the pursuit of it that really yeah uh, yeah turns you into the artist yeah. of any kind.
1: Oh yeah, the the pursuit of it is everything. Yeah. So uh, I did mean, I lose yeah. y'all on that? I no, went way off track. No not at all okay. Dude, that was I great don't. but this yeah. is just memories coming back because that was a big highlight in our life when my wife passed she said that was some of her favorite things yeah. the, that was the perk you know it, being an artist is hard some years like when the economy collapsed we didn't have a commission for two years so we had to spend we barely survived you know we, we were able either. to survive yeah. on our wits but you know it it came down to like nobody was. everybody's terrified the world was going to collapse they're not going to buy art it's frivolous yeah you know in a in a real perspective when people are worried about losing their homes and stuff
0: yeah. i mean it's kind of like opening a gallery during a pandemic yeah <laughs> <laughs> speaking oh. of you know i like brad you and i could talk about your life and turn this into a four-hour episode i know i'm sorry I, no I got no not at all off. maybe maybe you'll be the first part two, part two yeah. which i'm absolutely down for but in here nearing the end of the episode okay if cool. we can kind of fast forward a little sure, bit yeah let's do it man. you know you've time warp here you've with mentioned you. um i you. Gotcha. yeah you've mentioned you know stuff going on out of the recently, elvis years out of the elvis years and into the corona year
1: corona year of yeah. corona canvas yeah you want to talk about that
0: sure so let's let's How did Corona Canvas get us into the room we're recording in right now? Okay.
1: Corona Canvas. Uh, What was that? That was a show that Cameron and I did after my wife passed a year ago tonight, uh, today. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's like, well, we're not going to just sit around when the pandemic hit.
0: We We had this big ranch.
1: He said, let's do something. Why don't you just go paint a painting about this whole mess we're in and I'll film you and we'll put it on Facebook. Well, the first week, we had 3,500 people in my studio with me on Facebook. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. So we did about 14 weeks of it every Saturday for two or three hours a day. One day, we went eight hours, and we were making short films all week. It was a blast just to not think about my wife dying and just to bond, you know? And people were sharing all these same stories I just told you, and people were really into it. So then a friend of ours from Fox called and said he wanted to do a story about us and we had already i i've been using this as a gallery space and studio space for eight years because i painted a big mural outside but we had never done anything with it because it was just for painting and we'd have shows and rent it out to frat boys and weddings and stuff but um during the they couldn't rent it because the corona Mm -hmm. the uh pandemic so we started moving the corona canvas after 14 weeks we moved it over here so i could make it bigger into
0: and, into what became tilt vision art yeah. here and near south and scene. then our
1: art person Kay ray who's a you business can say person director. our art director who's a business person came over and said you're telling me you're wasting all this space for yourself i'm like she's like don't you know any other artists I'm like, well, I've got Tabaka. Uh, Yeah, I know Tabaka. Let's go ahead and open this. He needs a place to show. And he's my friend that I'd known for years, and Mm -hmm. none of the galleries around here would hire him because he was African and black and didn't speak English. So I'm like, hell yeah, Tabaka and I, and Kay's, I'm like, Kay, put some of your paintings in here because she was trying to be an artist, and I was giving her pointers. And the next thing, Preston shows up and James Hinkle comes in. And he's like, Man, I'm looking for studio space. One James Hinkle's a local famous musician that I've yes, known about for years and years, and he's a great artist. He's like, Man, I want to paint with you guys. So we just started opening the place up, and Cameron's like, Man, why don't? I just open up our film studio back there and I'll film y'all making your art. And Kay's like, that's awesome. The place has always been the Tilt Gallery because it's made in a Tilt construction manner. So we've always had art shows in here called the Tilt Gallery. And, uh, and so it, it, Kay's like, ah, what about Tilt Vision art instead of television art? It's tilt vision art. It sounds like television, but it's tilt vision art. And that'll open us up to be able to do anything. And so before you know it, we start making those films instead of Corona Canvas, which was limiting and nobody at the end wanted to think about Corona or Canvas or anything. It lost its humor. So luckily we're opening up and now we're doing profiles and we're doing yoga We're doing profiles on ballet dancers and singer-songwriters, live shows. I mean, the art community came together during this. And we're like, we are not sitting at home. We're going to entertain people on Zoom. We're going to entertain everybody. So we're doing live webcast over here. It's unbelievable. Who knew it would explode? I'm reliving my Deep Ellum years When we had the biggest Mm -hmm. bands there, and now we're having the biggest bands in here, and we're doing live shows now where people don't have to be in the same room, although we do have 40 seats if anybody's looking for a ticket uh, for every show. Uh, That's just the studio audience, but now we can zoom out to thousands of people with the gear we have, so it's almost unbelievable, but really, an art gallery should be like this in the future. You should actually get to know the artist on a personal level. The gallery should be owned by the artists so they don't get jacked around. Some some for some reason in the gallery business. I never had to work in the gallery business because people already bought my work directly from me. But mm-hmm. they were always snobby to me. They never really wanted to talk to me. they were like a mural, oh my God. I don't wanna yeah, a mural you know it's not a piece of canvas it's not abstract enough. a mural what are you going to paint palm trees (laughs) <laughs> he so we never needed him and anyway my wife got half my money how am I going to give the gallery her half I don't think that's going to work out anyway so a lot of times you're real rude all of a sudden the balance and power struggle there became unbalanced the artist lost who's creating all this art was kissing the ass of all the galleries I'm sorry to say this about the gallery business but the balance of power it was like the old studios in Hollywood like they had all the control and the artist had no power and so, so we're, we're like,
0: taking the power back at Television Art. Yes.
1: Man. I'm like, no, the artists are going to show y'all how to let us be artists and you're going to pay for it, but we're going to extremely all come together in an extreme way and create art together in the most objective environment we can with different mediums. We, everyone in here, I've selected perfectly in different skills so that we don't overlap each other. So when I get these big mural jobs, I can have 10 people do sketches for it. So we have 10 different concepts to show them, and somehow 10 artists will come out to these little towns and paint these murals with me in the future. Mm -hmm. And Preston, I don't know how we're going to mimic your style.
0: Dude, I've been trying to figure it out. That's a whole other topic. I have it
1: figured out because I already have one I'm ready to do on. I already have a whole thing. Let's do it. Okay. Well, so I'm just saying, <laughs>
0: so uh at the end of the episode i uh I kind of like to open up the floor for the guests to give what what's called like a lighthouse statement um what like it it it's your time to 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 monologue like what what do you wish you knew growing up what do you wish artists knew that they seem to miss all the time like if you could be known for a sound clip or some type of
1: guiding light out into the world. What is it, man? Okay, cool. One thing I think people should do is when your kid tells you they want to be an artist, don't talk them out of it. Encourage them and buy them paints and tell them, don't tell them, well, you're going to starve. I have not starved a day in my life. I have everything any artist could ever want because you just go to work and make art and people yeah. love it. And so if you want to be an artist, one thing that makes me mad is because my dad was an artist. My mom was a designer. They're like, yes, you're a great artist. Just follow it. That was my one special gift. hmm And it actually helped with my ADD because I could slip into my own world and not have to worry about the rest of it. So I could function with attention deficit disorder, listening to music and drawing and painting, and I could regulate my thoughts and organize them so I could finish a drawing or finish a painting. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying, if you want to be an artist, pursue it like there is nothing left, and you can pursue it your whole life. And you can get people to pay you for it because they're just glad you're pursuing it. Somebody's doing it, they're like, yeah, I'll buy something from you. I like your attitude. And before you know it, you're doing 100-foot-long murals, and you're doing on a lift painting John Wayne 60 feet tall, and they're paying you thousands of dollars a day to come over to their house and paint their kids in their rooms, and you know. And so just follow it, man. Don't don't give up. Just keep fighting and just get better. The better you are, just challenge yourself. Go from one project to the next and challenge yourself. The next one, this was good, but the next one is going to be better. And then they're just going to evolve into masterpieces eventually, hopefully.
0: That's the goal.
1: That's all I'm, I'm trying to say. Just keep pursuing the dream.
0: Well, Brad, thank you oh, thanks, so Brad. much for everything. Thank you. And, thank you. I'm they, sorry I blathered like that. No, not don't, it. You're we're friends. no apologies n- necessary. So and he's thanks, heard me talk. And thanks for letting me be a part of the gallery. This, oh, the, this show wouldn't be happening if oh, uh, man. you guys wouldn't have uh, talked me into doing it. So. Oh,
1: you're a superstar. If anybody doesn't know, this is our hottest artist in the gallery. Other than Kay Ray and David Lanford, but this dude here is incredible. I, I as soon as I met him, I said, Yes, you're in. What'd I tell you? I almost <laughs> you, started crying and see It was so good.
0: You 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 turned around and then walked back and said, Okay. I know I asked if you could leave a few pieces, but what about five? And I was like, the five is fine. And then you turned around again and said, can you make it six?
1: <laughs> I don't even care which ones. I brought 15 in. So they were I beautiful. Leave. They were incredible. So I'm yeah. so proud to have a young artist here that I can throw all these concepts. He's researched art so long. He knows everything I'm talking about. <laughs> and even he pulls me back and argues with me about my theories. And will forever. Challenges me all the time. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Brad. Okay.
0: And uh, that's it. I'm Batman. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Have a good night.